Dr. R.J. Rushduni, RR161CY187, Outcome Based at Another Education Anomalies, from the Easy Chair, Excellent Colloquies on Various Subjects. This is R.J. Rushduni, Easy Chair Number 297, August 26, 1993. Tonight we have one of our staff with us, Samuel L. Blumenfeld, but we have two of our number absent from us. Uh, Douglas Murray is in the Bay Area. His mother is quite ill. Mark Rushdooney is in Sacramento at the State Fair where his son Isaac, age 14, won the grand prize and uh, sum of money for his game birds. And the winner of the reserve grand prize was his sister of 11, April Rushdooney. So it's been a good week, and it's been a pleasurable week because we've had Sam Blumenfeld with us. Otto and I are going to ask Sam some questions after he gives us an introduction on OBE, and he'll explain what that means. But before he gets started on that, I'd like to call attention to a problem too many people have when they think about public education. They assume that having dropped the Bible, driven out prayer, and introduced sex education, the schools have achieved their goal and things are continuing about as they have been for some years. Many are ready to believe that there actually has been a return to phonics in the schools, which is not true. The name has been used, but it is not true phonics. But Statist education is a revolutionary movement. It is not going to stand still. It goes from one thing to another. So that to assume that there is some kind of status quo there is a very, very serious error. And that's why I feel it is so important that we have Sam Blumenfeld here to explain OBE to us. Otto and I will uh, ask some questions, Sam, after a while, but take your time and take as long as you want to develop an exposition of it. Well, the first thing you have to know about outcome-based education is that it is a totally new form of education meant to replace uh, what's left of traditional education. Now, there isn't very much left of traditional education, but this would be the final blow, which would just sweep away everything that has preceded uh, education in this country uh, up to now. And it is based on the psychological uh, studies of Benjamin Bloom, a professor at, at the University of Chicago, social scientist, who... Uh, worked out this uh, a method of education that would produce the desired in, uh, outcome of the uh, of the humanists for example uh, the desired outcome of a christian education is a believing christian a a uh, uh, an individual who would ha have a certain moral background etc and you and a christian school devises its education creates a curriculum that creates 
the product that they want. Well, the same thing now is being done in education uh, to produce humanists who will fit into this new uh, this new world order that the educators have decided is going to exist. It's going to be uh, humanistic, that is, with no reference to God, no reference to uh, religion. It is also to uh, reflect their vision of what American society is going to be like uh, economically. For example, they see, that is the OBE uh, uh, visionaries, see America as, as really a kind of three-tier society. You'll have at the very top the universitarian elite, those who are, you might say, born to rule, like uh, Hillary and Billary. You see, they've been, they've been chosen by fate, I guess, and uh, they are uh, groomed to be the rulers, this university elite. Uh, that's the top tier, and their education, they will be, uh, you might say, uh, guided in that direction if they show that they have some talent, as uh, obviously Bill Clinton showed and Hillary. Uh, the second tier will be made up of the managers, the technicians, the scientists, uh, who will keep the economy uh, moving, who will keep the the economy working, and then all uh, below them will be the the third group, the proles, uh, the uh, the workers, who will just get a, a sufficient education which will make them competitive with the other low wage earners uh, in the rest of the world. In other words, American Americans will be uh, groomed to accept a low wage uh, status comparable to that what we have now in Mexico or in, in uh, Taiwan or elsewhere because uh, they realize that we're losing jobs because Americans are simply paid too much. Well, that's, that's the kind of system that they want and they're devising uh, a curriculum that is going to produce those results. They are going to create what they call certificates of mastery a certificate of initial mastery. In other words, it's going to replace the diploma. You see, the present diploma, you get a present diploma by being in school for 12 years and getting various credits. And if you get, you know, three credits for this course and four credits for that one, and when you have a certain number of credits, you graduate. Here, you will not graduate until you are able to demonstrate that you can that you know and have the right attitudes that the educators want you to have. In other words, you could be in school for as long as it takes for you to jump through the hoops. If you are, if you do not repeat, if you do not ape what they want you to so-called learn, you don't graduate. You don't get your certificate. And from what we, from what I've uh, been told, uh, you won't be able to work unless you have a certificate. In other words, that'll be your your uh, means of eligibility to get a job. Also, this, this, this system is a very controlled system. They are going to put everybody on a computer. Every child who enters the system gets into this master computer, which already exists, incidentally, this master computer that is going to track every single child beginning at the age of three. Now, they are also going to monitor pregnancies because they believe that the reason why there are some children who can't learn is because of something that the mother did in pregnancy. In other words, as you know, uh, Rush, and, and you know, Otto, I've been talking for years about how reading disability is created in the school by the methods that are being used by the educators. Well, of course, they flatly deny that. They claim that the reason why these children aren't learning is because of something genetic or something that happened to them in the womb, or some brain damage, and so now they have uh, an excuse, a pretext for monitoring uh, pregnancies. Now, what are they? I don't know what they're going to do about women who want to abort their uh, fetuses. Uh, that's going to be a problem that they're going to have to deal with. But in any case, they will have a. They will start um, tracking children from from day one. And once you get on the computer, that's it. And they're going to have a file on you that's going to be in the computer, which um, who knows who will have access to it. There's no true security. Uh, Otto, I'm sure you know that there's no true security in any 
a computer data bank. No, of course not. <clears throat> yes. And so that's, that's what they're going to do. Now, as far as subject matter is concerned, they are going to only teach what they believe is needed to solve problems, to solve our problems. Uh, for example, they are going to eliminate history as history. They will just deal with problems and then, uh, as they say, they will uh, try to solve whatever problem. For example, if they have a pro if we have a, a problem in, in Bosnia, uh, they will think in terms of, well, now how can we, uh, uh, you know, solve that problem, quote, whether they know anything about history or not. Uh, they're not going to know much about American history uh, also because basically they want to destroy the past for these youngsters. They want to create a new person. They have divided, the, and all of this is being done by psychologists. Uh, all of these plans have been made by psychologists, not educators as we would, or intellectuals, or, or, uh, or people who are truly interested in the intellect. This is being done by, basically by psychologists, and they've divided the, the curriculum into the cognitive domain, and the affective domain. And the affective domain, uh, of course, uh, is related to beliefs and values and emotions and sexuality and all of that. And then they say that even the, the cognitive domain has its affective aspect, so that uh, you're never free of the emotions. In other words, when I was going to school and I was taught arithmetic or I was taught to read, the teacher did not want to know how I felt. She did not want to know what I believed. She didn't want to know what my parents felt or what they believed. She just wanted to make sure that I knew what she was teaching. Now they want to know how you feel, what your relations are with your family, what your attitudes are. That's going to be very important in this whole new scheme of things. Can, me, uh, can I interrupt? Sure. sure. Now, what you're telling us is that there's going to be a structural change. Total, complete structural it's change. It's not going to be elementary, intermediate, and college. No, yeah. Well, there may be universities. They haven't gotten up to the universities. This is going to deal with, uh, basically, with your public school system, uh, which now goes from uh, K through, uh, through uh, 12, but they're not going to have them as such as grades. You see, it's not going to be done as grades. Uh, also, they're eliminating, for example, they're going to have the extended calendar, school calendar. They're eliminating uh, summer vacations because they're saying that that's a relic of, of an agrarian society and therefore children should go to school all year round. And uh, uh, also, they're going to mix ages. That's one thing that isn't too bad, the fact that uh, they're you're not going to only be with your own age group. In other words, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's based on what you are supposed to know. In other words, if, uh, but if you, if you, for example, know the information, you cannot move ahead until you know what they're teaching. In other words, they will repeat it and drum it into you until you can uh, repeat it back, you see. That's, that's the well, so-called mastery learning system. There's also the implication that they can keep them beyond 16. Yes, you see, they're going to have to do something about the compulsory school attendance laws because uh, they don't want these kids to be able to walk out at the age of 16. They want to force these kids to stay in that school until, as I said, they can ape what the educators want them to know. And, of course, that's still up in the air. We don't know exactly what the content is of this education. I, I can't see where somebody at the end of 12 years goes into a university. What will they go in equipped with? And what will the university do? Well, they, they, will, go, uh, they will go and equip with what they would call a certain, uh, uh, you know, values or certain... Uh, goals. Now the government is setting these goals. Incidentally, this is total this is going to make a, create a totally national education system. Forget about local control. Same everywhere. For, yes, it's got to be the same everywhere. It's and of course it's the, it's the federal government that has been paying for all of this up till now. You see it's the it's the US Department of Education which has been pumping millions of dollars into these educational labs 
that are located all over the country mm. that are producing these various programs. Mm. Uh, they're all psychologically based because they want to change the attitudes of the students uh, to conform with humanistic goals. So in other words, if you're a Christian, you're going to have a very tough time in that school because the schools are going to say, uh, tell you that evolution is a fact. And they won't let you out until you... Until you agree. Until you agree, right. In other words, you will not be able to uh, disagree and get your certificate, you see. That's the kind of thing we're headed for. We're headed toward a, a I would call totalitarian, a educational totalitarianism. And, and it's being, imp it's being introduced and implemented all over the country, and, uh, people don't even know what's happening. This would render everyone else obsolete. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Apart from you and two or three who have, under your influence, taken up the matter, no one is calling attention to the implications of OBE. Phyllis Schnoffley is. Yeah, she has. She has, mm -hmm. and... Uh, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, yeah. Phyllis has done a, a good... She did a good report on it. And we have a network of uh, people in the country who are aware of what is going on. And uh, we're on the phone all the time and exchanging faxes and doing all kinds of things. We've been aware of OBE now for a, for a while. I, I think the, the one person who was probably aware of it for quite some time is Charlotte Isabet, uh, who lives in Maine, who was once worked for the Department of Education. She saw all of these grant proposals going through. She knows who the, the major individuals involved in this whole process are. And uh, she is a, um, uh, she's very well aware of it. She's been ahead of us. Uh, but the, the, the method of education is basically Skinnerian. This mastery education methodology, it's basically behaviorist. Uh, the use of the animal training techniques, you see, to educate these these youngsters. And uh, uh, incidentally, uh, what you're going, what uh, what they're going to teach the the ones at the very bottom. First of all, they're not going to learn how to read very well because whole language is now part and parcel of this whole program, whole language. And as you know, I've, as I've spoken about whole language before, it is a dumbing down process. Mm -hmm. So that they will be uh, relegating that lower, probably two-thirds of the population. Well, what would be the criteria for selecting the lower? Well, I, it's very hard to say. You know, you have your so-called gifted and talented what they will do is find out who can survive, who manages to get through. I mean, for example, how does a Clinton become a Clinton? I mean, he went to he went to a private uh, he Catholic went, he school. He went to private schools, yeah. and he obviously was an expert apple polisher. Yes, and just the type yeah. that the teachers like. Yes. Well, obviously, there are going to be some kids who are bright and who will be selected to be the rulers of tomorrow, just as Clinton was. There's, of course, an obvious plagiarism in all this. The three-tiered society is straight out of Plato's Republic, which is the great uh, pattern for all totalitarian societies. And... The uh, proles, the proletariat, yeah. of course, are those who could not qualify for anything else, so they were like cattle to be used by the planners at the top. Exactly. But in this instance, you know, Plato was living, after all, as a member of a nobility, uh, and the proles were born into that situation, mm -hmm. and... Uh, the middle class, if they're what it was, was the entrepreneur of the day. Here, obviously, the schools or the psychologists will select irrespective mm -hmm. of race or family. 
Oh, yes. Now, this is a great illusion that race is irrelevant. Well, but, uh, you know, they, they have devised all sorts of tests, mm-hmm. attitudinal tests, right. uh, cl- values uh, tests, which will permit them to select those, you know, by computer they can do this very easily. Sure. Everything's going to be on a computer. Right. They'll be able to select very easily who are mm-hmm. the ones destined to be the rulers, sure. to, to be the ruling class, the elite. It's right. an elitist society. Right. Uh, all socialist societies are elitist societies. Well, all societies are elitist. There's no society without a top. Yes. Uh, so that's a term which I really don't see. Uh, I know that it's frowned upon today. They use elitist as a pejorative. But if you don't have an elite, you don't have a society. Well, yeah, we've always had a, an elite in this country, but our education system left it up to the up to the individual, individual to That's decide right. what he was going to do with his it, life. More of a meritorious, well, a natural right. elite in Jefferson's terms. Yeah. A natural aristocracy. A natural yes. aristocracy. Here it is. I mean, uh, uh, let, me, uh, let me ask you, do you consider Hillary and, and Bill Clinton to be... Elite, elite in the sense of knowledge? No, of course not. They're not elite material. So no. how did they get there? How did they get there? Well, of course, they were pushed through. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, I, I, don't, uh, I don't know, Rush, if you recall uh, the, the speech that Clinton gave when he received the nomination of the Democratic Party. And in that address, he paid homage to his great professor, at Georgetown University, Professor Carol Quigley. Yes. Now, 99.9% of the American people had no idea who was Professor Quigley. But as you and I know, Rush, Professor Quigley wrote a very famous book called Tragedy and Hope, in which he explained the existence of the establishment of this group of men who were working secretly to create a world system. And uh, obviously Clinton was aware of that, and the Rhodes Scholarships, as a matter of fact, book. Well, he was a Rhodes Scholar. Yes. And of course, uh, he did. It's interesting. He worked for Fulbright. Yes. But he didn't get a Fulbright. He got a Rhodes he Scholar got a Rhodes because Scholar. a Rhodes Scholar has a little more prestige. And of course, at Oxford, you don't have to work if you don't want to. It's not like an American co- college. So he didn't work his second year. He never got his degree there. You don't have to. But but the the purpose of the Rhodes Scholarship is to train leaders. Well, it's to put you into a network. Yeah, because, you know, uh, Hawks, the Prime Minister of of Australia, was a Rhodes Scholar. You've got Rhodes Scholars throughout our Congress. It's really a political appointment. Yeah, yeah, in a sense. so it is. It's it's. Uh, so we do have this elite at the top, but it's an elite that's chosen by the uh, manipulators. Well, uh, it's interesting. This is a fascinating. Uh, Phyllis Schlafly. I just happened to run across her. Mm. Somebody sent me a copy of what she'd written, and it wasn't as clear as what Sam was saying by any means. She got all bound up in the curricula. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. We have already an academic elite that is running our society. Yes. That is a, a uh, certificated elite. Credentialed. A credentialed elite, yes. And they're doing a lousy job because <laughs> most of them are not educated. They're mm-hmm. specialists. And the specialization is so intense that it leaves them totally ignorant outside their specialty. You see, now you believe that they're doing a lousy job, but to them, what we have is what they want. This chaos? Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, take, for example, the illiteracy that we have in this country. We know how to teach children to read. It's no big mystery. It isn't as if we're trying to find a cure for cancer, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, after all, the Romans did it. Yes. Uh, The Greeks did it. I mean, we've done it in this this country. This country did it very, very well. Right. Now, yes. and I've been fighting to get intensive phonics back in the schools since 1963. And it's been like hitting your head against a stone wall. By that time, there were articles in Harper's and elsewhere which said that one-third, at least, 
of all the children in America were not literate and did not need to know how to read. In 1963? Yes. And... uh, You've encountered that in educational literature in the 20s. Yes. As a matter of fact, uh, when I was in California some a couple of years ago down in the San Joaquin Valley, uh, I visited a school, Washington Elementary School in Selma, uh, mm-hmm. California. I know small town. very well. Uh, a friend of mine, a Sue Dixon, wrote a, a good phonics program. And I asked Sue, I said, well, where is it being used in America? And she said, well, there's this little school in Selma, California that's using it. Why don't you go down, uh, if you're there, visit. And I happened to be in the area, so I stopped off and I, I went to see the principal, a very nice young lady, whose name I can't recall at the moment, who welcomed me in and, uh, you know, and I asked her uh, about how she got to use this uh, phonetic system which was teaching these little uh, children from migrant workers to read very nicely. Mm. And she said, well, when she had gone to teacher's college, I forget it was Fresno or one of the, one of the universities there, her professor told her, to expect that one-third of the children would not learn to read, could not mm-hmm. learn because of some defect. A second third would only become moderate moderate readers, and only one-third would become proficient readers. So she left school believing that that was so, and she started teaching, and she was so frustrated and so disturbed by the failure that she was getting with the programs that she was using, some look-say program, uh, that she thought there must be a better way to do things. And Mm -hmm. she happened to come across uh, Sue Dixon's program in a catalog. So she sent away for it and began using it in in her class. And lo and behold, everybody learned to read, you see. So she was suddenly realized that she had been lied to. She had been lied to by her professor. I remember, if you'll pardon the interruption, at about 1963 running into a uh, a literary agent who was agenting for children's books. And I said, well, I guess anyone with a flair for fantasy would probably do rather well in that field. And she said, no, no. She said, we we, uh, we deal with limited vocabulary by age. Yes. And not only were, were the words limited, but you could only use that those words. Oh, yes. As a matter of fact, uh, I've been uh, working with, a, with a, a very interesting gentleman down in North Carolina who read my book, the NEA, and read that particular chapter on the artificial inducement of dyslexia. Now, he himself is dyslexic, mm. and for the first time he realized that the reason why he had his, his problem was because of the way he had been taught to read in school. And uh, he was very concerned about his grandson, who was having a terrible time learning to read. And so what he would do is he buy these little phonetic books. Uh, even though this man was dyslexic, he had somehow managed to read enough. And his grandson had this block against phonics. Hmm. And he said, now how could that be? Uh, how did this happen? Well, he looked at his, the books that his grandson was reading, and he realized he had all of these Dr. Seuss books, which he could read like that. Mm-hmm. Snap of a finger. Sure. So he began to test it. He realized that this boy was memorizing the Dr. Seuss books, all of the words, mm-hmm. holistically, as mm-hmm. little, little you know, right. figures, as little uh, uh, ideographs. Right. And because he had this automatic, holistic way of looking at words, had developed a block against looking at words phonetically, mm-hmm. you see. And so... Uh, This was a great discovery because millions of preschoolers are memorizing these little Dr. Seuss books. Now, the interesting thing is that Dr. Seuss did not write these books out of his head. 
he was given 220 <coughs> words by the publisher. Hmm. Sight words. <coughs> that the purpose of these books was to turn these kids into little sight readers so that when they entered the first grade, oh, they would be able to read very nicely and their parents would be very satisfied and, and would say, oh, my child's learning to read, you see. Right. But then by the time they got to the third grade, they'd break down and become dyslexic and have all kinds of problems. Mm. So my friend uh, devised a very simple test uh, whereby he could... Uh, whereby he could discover or find out whether the child was a sight reader, was looking at words holistically or phonetically. He took the sight words from the, from the Dr. Seuss books and put them in, in, on a page, and then he took an equal number of words from Rudolf Flesch's book, Why Johnny Can't Read, simple phonetically regular words. Well, the typical sight reader would whiz through the, the Dr. Seuss words, but then when he would come to the simple phonetic words, he'd stumble, Couldn't. be unable to read them, slow down considerably. Couldn't read them at all. Yes. So he was able to demonstrate quite dramatically this difference. Well, the message you've described in the damage that they've created is really diabolic and Bob who was running the tape for us said why are they doing this yeah why are they doing this well it's part of the general dumbing down of the American people first of all you have to realize that the end aim of, of American education or the educators the elite the progressives is to create a world socialist pagan system. We know it's going to be pagan because if you attended the conference at Rio, you would realize that everything is tending toward a pagan system. Now, who are the uh, who are the those who will be the most resistant group to a world pagan socialist system? Well, the religious groups. The believing Christians. Yes. They represent the strongest opposition. Now this this group realizes that that's the case. Now how can you destroy that opposition? Well since 85% of the Christians put their children in public schools you see what they are going to do is do two things to the kids. First they're going to dumb them down sufficiently so that they can't read the Bible. They can't read the Declaration of Independence. They can't read the Constitution. Uh, in other words, they will be completely at the mercy of their superiors. That's the first thing they will do to uh, uh, make them pliable and easily manipulable. The second thing they will do is sexualize the children as early as possible in order to make them into pagans. Now, so that's why they're introducing sex education in kindergarten, AIDS education in kindergarten, which they're going to describe to the to these five-year-olds and six-year-olds all of the various ways that you can get AIDS. And they're going to leave nothing to the imagination. As I read recently, they do this, Rush, as an illustration of what's happening in their parents' bedroom. Is that what it is? That, that, that's part of it. And that, of course, changes a child's whole yes. attitude toward his parents. Right. We also, uh, we all, oh, go ahead, uh, Rush. I was going to say, and by way of illustration, what you said with regard to not being able to read the Bible, one of the most common practices in the first half of this century was that in the Sunday school, uh, various children were asked to read the lesson from the Bible. Or they went around the class, each one reading a verse very often. Since then, that's less and less the case. Because they cannot read it if they are public school students. Yes. There is an interesting uh, cartoon in the September Reader's Digest that uh, Bob handed me. It shows this college... Uh, hallway and the door 
on which is the inscription History Department and underneath the sign Closed for Rewriting. <laughs> well, it's interesting. The Russians are rewriting their history books because they know they're full of lies and we're rewriting ours in order to put more lies in. <laughs> but uh, getting back to this, this uh, why they're doing this, that's the only way that they can overcome the Christian opposition is to first produce fewer Christians. In other words, de-Christianize uh, Christian children. Now, once they become sexualized, then they will be in conflict with their Christian beliefs, and they will have what is uh, they will develop what is known as as cognitive um, uh, what is it uh, cognitive um, disorder, not cognitive. Oh, I forget. There's, there's a term that the scientists, that the psychologists have uh, have devised, which uh, which is, is a, a description of of internal conflict, dissonance, cognitive dissonance, it's yes. called cognitive mm-hmm. dissonance, uh, which means that the youngster will have these two conflicting value systems, two conflicting belief systems. Uh, he will have been experimenting with sex, and he or she will have to decide, well, can I remain a Christian or should I adopt humanism, which says that I can do everything I want, you see. And more likely than not, the, then the individual will uh, become a humanist or, a, or a, uh, an atheist or a nihilist or you name it, because, uh, but they certainly will give up Christianity because Christ- because it's it's much more difficult to lead a Christian life than it is to lead a humanist life. And as we know uh, from the growth of the New Age movement, one of the reasons why so many people are adopting pagan beliefs is because paganism lets you do all the sinning you want. Well, the modern version of paganism. Yes. I mean, we know that the pagans had gods and rules. We are worse than... the What yeah. they're propounding is worse yes. than the pagans. Well, the pagans also had human sacrifice, which... uh, Yes, we'll come to that. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Well, uh, there are different ways of sacrificing people. Yeah. To an extent, the treatment of our troops in Vietnam was human sacrifice. And abortion. And abortion. And abortion. So we have human sacrifice uh, 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 going on today. The point is, though, that that's... I hope that answers the question as why they're doing this. Because their aim is the socialist pagan system. For power and control, yeah. in other words. Yeah. And to de-Christianize the opposition. In other words, if you can take 85% of the Christian children, and over two, over, how long would it take one or two generations to de-Christianize them? Not very long. Not too and then long. you just have a remnant that you have to deal with. If you have... Uh, a very small remnant. If, if if nobody can get a job without a credential. Yeah. Now, when I worked at Ashton Oil, I was the only man in the headquarters that was there without a degree. I found out later the personnel department would not interview anyone without a degree. Sure, yes. And this was set in place by men, yes, who were the first in their generation to get a degree. Uh, and what, first in know, their in their families to get a degree. You know what is interesting also is that the uh, is that the business people have been brought into this thing by the educators, mm-hmm. and the business people are being are being uh, persuaded that high literacy is not necessary. They're being told that it's better to, it's better to have a lower level. Uh, a lower level of literacy for these workers because we don't want to uh, we don't want to create false hopes that they can rise to the middle class. In other words, we want to make them satisfied with their uh, place in society as uh, laborers, as workers doing whatever it is that industry is going to require. You see, so they're selling this. So the large corporations, and believe it or not, the large corporations are going are going along with it, which is a, which is a terrible. Do you suppose terrible. that? Do you suppose that that's a result 
and of having distributed degrees wholesale. Yes. In this last couple of decades, (coughs) and then produce people who expect more from society than it has places to provide. That's it. That's it. So as, being, as you as you have pointed out to me, Otto, we're entering a, uh, a period of a of tremendous change in which there there are going to be fewer jobs. Yes. You see, now of course in our society, it's the small firms that have created the jobs. Right. The large corporations are cutting cutting back. I mean, you know, they're they're cutting down by the thousands. Uh, while uh, it's the it's the creation of these small firms of 20 people, 30 people, that are creating the jobs. Now, uh, how long that's going to last, we don't know, because according to the tax, the new tax program, they're going to penalize these smaller, uh, these entrepreneurs and these small firms. Well, most of them have discovered that they previously cracked down on S-corporations, which are small corporations, increased the taxes. So therefore, most of the new entrepreneurs have been operating uh, on their own personal account without incorporating at all, so they're charged according to the income tax rates. Well, when you put the income tax rates up to 40%, which is the latest bill, 39%, plus the state and the county, Uh, you are taking over half of what these entrepreneurs can make, what they can earn. To illustrate what you said earlier about the absorption of the business community, some years ago a man who had been in banking in New York City and had... uh, done some investigative work for Congress in areas of his uh, expert knowledge told me that uh, routinely the people with money were absorbed into the establishment and he cited the instance of one family a man, a successful businessman who left a foundation of not too many million, but one that provided, oh, four to six million dollars a year for grants, which he hoped would go to good Christian and uh, conservative causes. When he died, his widow uh turned over control of it to the three sons who'd already been a part of the board. After some time, she learned from friends with horror that all the money that her husband had made was being given in grants to left-wing causes. And... She called in someone to investigate the matter and it ended with the investigation because it was obvious nothing was going to happen. The boys were in control. It was simply this. The first time the three sons took a trip to Europe before they went, a State Department official visited them, told them that they were the kind of tourists to Europe they wanted to see more of. So would they mind if they uh, had them met when they arrived in London, visit some prominent Englishman and stay at their estates, and so on? Well, they were entranced at the idea, and they came back walking on air because they met Lords and ladies, and wherever they went, chauffeurs met them, courtesy of the embassy, and they were included in a variety of things that were uh, quite heady for them. They were meeting the elite. They came back. They were invited to a prominent uh, event 
social event in New York City. Uh, they were asked to talk to a small group about their reactions. And they were walking on air. A little later, someone called on them and uh, discreetly solicited funds for a project in New York City. And they quickly realized that if they wanted the same kind of association as they had encountered on the trip to Europe, this was the way to do it. So little by little, all the money that was available every year was going to causes suggested to them. So this is the kind of thing that is done, and other methods, no doubt, to absorb... uh, the wealth that Christian and conservative men have laid up into the New World Order. I guess there's the famous uh, Sun Oil, uh, you know, fund, uh, yes. Fortune Pugh. Joe Pugh, yeah. Who had uh, endowed Grove City College and was a great contributor to a conservative. Rush, Rush I knew him personally. And now, where is it? <coughs> it's all going to left wing liberal. Yes causes because these foundations are taken over by these people. Well, I I know for a fact that Pew left some grants that were to be permanent to certain organizations. And his uh, instructions were carefully spelled out. But within a year after his death, these had been cut out. How could they do that if they're oh they can do whatever they want. The courts are not agreeable to permanent uh, wishes. That's true. That's the Gerard case is yes. an example of that. Yes, that set a precedent. That's There's right. also the fact that the courts have the government first and then the courts followed have destroyed private contracts. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we're not living under contractual law anymore. <clears throat> and uh, a, a judge can set aside... Uh, anything. Anything. <laughs> any contract. Yes. And are doing it regularly. Yeah. Well, so that the, uh, <clears throat> the restructuring of society is, uh, is underway. You're, you're giving us the, uh, the educational side. Right. Of it. And they call it restructuring. They call it Oh, yes, it's called restructuring. Well, that's what it strikes yes. me immediately. Yes. yes. And, but that's what they call it. And, of course, that's what they want. Uh, I, you know, um, my friend in, in uh, North, uh, North Carolina, Edward Miller, has used that test, you know, the, the sight words on one side. Mm-hmm. And the, in, uh, he's got a public school in his area, and he tested the children in that school, uh, in the Rhonda Klingman School, I just wanted to give you what the results were. He said of the 26 second graders, only four could be considered good phonetic readers out of 26 second mm-hmm. graders. Mm-hmm. And then uh, of the 25 fourth graders, only seven mm. were phonetic readers. Uh, and so uh, it turned out of, uh, that to, to sum up the results of the 68 children tested, 53 were already educationally dyslexic. Great. It just occurs to me that when you say nobody would be able to get a job without a credential from right. this system, yes. that that is the way to stop the outlaw individual from rising in society. Now, this is a very old prejudice. Emerson had it and his friends against the men who set up the mills and the factories and the railroads and Mm -hmm. so forth because they hadn't gone through the university system. And it was felt that only the people who went through the university system had a right to rise in the society and uh, others did not. So you close that door of the entrepreneur. What you're really talking about is, is creating a uh, China. Yeah. Yes. But but you see the difference the difference is is striking. 
We've had many immigrants to this country who were basically illiterate yes. and were able to build fortunes. That's right. And that's because their minds had not been tampered with. They were illiterate simply because they hadn't learned to read, hadn't had schooling, but yet they had native intelligence. Sure. They had common sense. You know, they knew uh, up from down, they knew right from wrong, and uh, they knew that uh, what capitalism was all about. Well, but some the, of them arrived here illiterate only in English. Right. But right. the functional illiterate who was made illiterate in our schools becomes generally so dysfunctional, ah. uh, becomes a delinquent, becomes so antisocial. Really, so they really figured out a way. Yes. As a matter of fact, Kurt Lewin, one of the social scientists who uh, came out of Germany in the 30s and came to this country, and he invented sensitivity training, hmm. and he was responsible for creating the, uh, the lab the National Training Lab at in Bethel, Maine, which was sponsored by the National Education Association, he experimented on how to create frustration, hmm. how to frustrate children. Mm -hmm. And he knew how to do it. You see, they had worked on all of these techniques. So what functional literacy creates is what you have in Los Angeles, in South Central Los mm -hmm. Angeles, mm -hmm. gangs of functional illiterates who have... No employable skills. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, when Rodney King was on the stand and he was asked to read something, he was asked to read something, he looked at it and he said, uh, would somebody read it for me? I can't read. I think if these gangs were tested for literacy, you would find that 95% were probably functionally yes. illiterate. See. Well, you mentioned the immigrants who came yes. here unable to read English. Back in the 20s and 30s, I know California and briefly, or for, for a few years, Michigan, one of the commonest things was your night school for immigrants who went there to learn how to read and write and to speak English properly. Mm -hmm. And it was... Uh, a course that required a great deal of uh, drill and it was not uh, a snap course. They really taught those people and they went there because they had the motivation. Oh, yeah. They wanted to get ahead. Oh, yes. Oh, of course. In night school in those You remember days. The Education of Hyman Kaplan? Oh, yeah. <laughs> delightful book. Right. Yes, now, that was a classic in its day and I don't think I've thought of it for maybe 40 years since you mentioned it mm -hmm. now. Yeah. That was a joy to read. It was. Yeah. I read it two, three times. Yeah. Yes. But it's interesting that so many of those immigrants were able to do so well over here because they had the opportunity. Yes. But they had common sense. Their and brains the society had not was been not destroyed. locked up at the yeah. time they arrived. Oh, yeah. Now, it is locked up. When I tell you that this large company wouldn't interview anybody that didn't have a degree. That's a lockup. Yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. yes. definitely. Incidentally, another important thing that was done by Miller was that he went back to this Rhonda Klingman school two years later to test the same youngsters that he had tested in 1990. He was able to test 51 of the original 68 students. And here the results are really astounding. Uh, he showed, he, he proved the dumbing down was taking place. He said, the results showed that none of the students who were holistic readers in 1990 had become phonetic readers in the interim. Most of them were able to read the words faster and their accuracy had increased in the phonetic part of the test, but more than half of the dyslexic students miscalled some of the very same sight words that they had read correctly in 1990. Mm -hmm. One student who, as a fourth grader, had made a total of 12 errors in 1990, made 29 errors in 1992 as a sixth grader mm -hmm. in the very same first grade test. Yes. This is the same test given two years later, and they make more errors two years later on the same first grade test. And nowhere was the dumbing down process more obvious than among the good phonetic readers in the second and third grades of 1990 
who are now in the fourth and sixth grades. Of the 13 students who had achieved the best scores in 1990, nine made more errors on the very same test in 1992. All right, now McIntyre <coughs> is teaching children. Uh, he has a day school. It's, it's a real school. Right. He's teaching them as students. It, it takes them in as soon as they're toilet trained. And I think the senior class is six years old, I'm not sure, whenever they have to go on yeah. to the first grade. And most of the parents put them on to the first grade because, of course, that ends the, t the expense of the day school. Mm -hmm. And these are single parents or people right. that have to work hard. So what you're saying is that when the public schools get them, now he turns them out able to read and write, they're going to destroy that ability. Absolutely. That's what Absolutely. you're saying. Yes, and he proved it with this mm. testing. I was amazed. The, the results were astounding. This is the first, first, uh, uh, how would you say, objective evidence we have of the dumbing down process, mm -hmm. whereby the best students read more poorly two years later. The very same first grade test. This is not a more yeah, difficult test. The very same test they're doing more poorly. As a matter of fact, one fourth grader who had made only two errors in 1990 made 18 in 1992 as a sixth grader. Mm -hmm. Doesn't that sound right? You see. Yeah. So, there, so what we're dealing yeah. with is a dumbing down process yes. of, uh, that has been worked out so cleverly. Uh, I mean, it, it's an ingenious thing that they've done. Diabolical. Mm -hmm. A little while ago, we were talking about uh, the lockup of various areas, closed, any right. but those who are credentialed. An interesting area where that has happened has been in the churches. Originally, you could study theology under a prominent a theologian or a pastor. All you had to do was to pass the examination. That went out... Uh, in most churches by the time of World War II I think one of the last where it went out was strangely enough the Episcopal Church all you had to do was to pass the bishop's examinations but that ended now what has happened is that the Churches blessed with seminaries have gone downhill. The phenomenal growth from 68 to 88 of those who profess to be born-again, Bible-believing Christians is from 40 million to 91 million, 18 years of age and older, mm -hmm. has been churches that did not require a seminary training. Just a man who knew what it was about, who'd studied on his own. Now, two things are obvious. There was a risk. Not that these other churches didn't have their share of incompetent and morally delinquent men. But let's grant for a moment that those who did not require the uh, lock-up process of seminaries and credentials and all that. Let's say maybe they had more delinquent clergymen. They had the phenomenal success because the men had not been trained to knuckle under to a system but were driven by a mission. Well, yes. As a matter of fact, I think it was it was uh, uh, Fred Niles who told me in in, uh, in Australia that the whole purpose of, of the seminary was to destroy his religion. Yes, <laughs> I don't know if he told you that. That's very common. But but uh, you know they wanted to produce doubt in him over the over the inerrancy of of the word and uh, and. Uh, I understand that there are thousands of young men who have entered seminaries with a, with a you know heart full of, 
of spirit, willing to, you know, wanting to become great ministers, and yet the seminaries have uh, virtually destroyed their faith. Well, even where the faith has not been destroyed, it has uh, drilled them into a straight, uh, a life that is a straitjacket yes. life. Uh-huh. So that I've actually seen young men who preached marvelously before they went to seminary come out and they were wooden and incompetent. Well, our time is virtually over. Before we conclude, I'd like to urge you all to subscribe to the Blumenfeld Education Letter, which comes out every month and is usually about ten pages. Uh, eight. Eight pages. Yes. Uh, the rate is $36 for a year. For a subscription, write to the Blumenfeld Education Letter, P.O. Box 45161, Boise, V as in boy, O-I-S-E, Idaho, 83711. I think you'll find it eminently worthwhile. It'll keep you up to date on the kind of thing we've been talking about this evening. Rush, you might give them the phone number. It would be easier for them to call. All right. Call 208 3 Two two four 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 zero. Thank you all for listening, and God bless you. Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by Christrules.com.